The news that an Australian community housing provider might become involved in the government's planned sell-off or lease of thousands of state houses brewed a storm of opposition. But why that reaction? This Radio New Zealand Insight programme reports from Queensland on how community housing providers are operating there and speaks to the companies involved in the New Zealand sell-off. The first lot of state housing due to be transferred in some way to community providers will be in Invercargill and Tauranga. Overall, the government plans to move on one to 2,000 houses in the first year. It believes community housing operators can, in many cases, do a better job. And in the last month, the Finance Minister, Bill English, told a Commerce Commission conference the government should hardly be in the game at all. And there's two particular monopoly functions which, one way or another, need to be more competitive. The first is the monopoly on the provision of social housing, where we are making progress. We are breaking up, I think, the last developed country in the world to do so, the state housing monopoly. Initially regarded as a major contender, the Salvation Army almost immediately ruled itself out of purchasing state houses, saying buying the properties would stretch its resources too far. But at least two providers in Australia are keen for some sort of involvement. They include the largest operator in Queensland, Horizon, which runs about 2,500 properties. Our objective is about giving people a hand up rather than a hand out to try and help them get into a, a more stable, safe housing situation. Now, into private rental or home ownership is the ambition of many people, but not everyone. But in the past 10 days, a Reed research poll for TV3 indicated 75% of people were opposed to the idea of selling state-owned houses to an Australian company. I'm Philippa Tolley, and for this insight, I travelled to the Gold Coast in Brisbane to ask the companies why they're looking to New Zealand and to find out more about how they operate at home. At Palm Beach, not far from the Gold Coast Airport, Horizon's Chief Operating Officer, Sam Evans, shows off some of the company's latest pensioner housing. Right, so these are quite new. So when were they built? They were built about three years ago as part of the fiscal stimulus funding that the Commonwealth government, government initiated post the global financial crisis. And, um, and they invested a significant amount of money into the social housing sector. And this is a great property with... Um, you know, a real focus on architectural design for, uh, for our seniors here on the Gold Coast. And so does Horizon manage it or do you own the property? Uh, we own this property, but we have properties that we both manage on behalf of government as well as um, properties that we own. Great, we're going to have a look. She introduces some of Horizon's contented tenants. Hi, it's Philippa from Radio New Zealand. Hello there. Hi, how are you? Very nice to meet you. Nice to meet you too. So how do you find it living here? I find it excellent. I was very fortunate, actually, to get this accommodation, you know, being a pensioner. Where were you before? I've had a few marriages and, in fact, a relationship. So I've had had homes, but I've lost them in the split-up. Naturally, we had to divide everything, and now I ended up a pensioner, and I got the opportunity to come here. Uh, my daughter helped me to contact the company and get accommodations. It was less than two months ago that it emerged Horizon was looking at what was happening with the transfer of state housing in New Zealand. While the news sparked a less than enthusiastic response, the Prime Minister John Key told Morning Report such a provider would fit in with the government's plans. So on the basis that they're going to simply buy these properties, maintain them and ensure that they are well looked after and, and provide the other services maybe that they provide, then I'd say it's uh, not a bad fit. 
Horizon's chief executive, Jason Cubitt, says it's very early days and there are few details about how the transfer of state housing would work in New Zealand. We haven't got a plan for New Zealand, but I can talk about an example here in Australia where we've moved into another region where we weren't local and we didn't have a presence. So out in the Maranoa in the town of Roma, um, we, we set up an operation there because we were lucky enough to um, be successful in a transfer agreement with the government. And we've, we employed local people, we uh, rented the local office. Yes, we provide corporate support from head office here, so we're more efficient. Um, and we work, uh, we've got local reference committees. But we've also committed through those agreements that any funds, surpluses we generate, we reinvest that back into that community. For all that, he understands worries here about any sale or lease arrangement with a provider from overseas. Any experience I've been aware of in um, selling off or losing assets that comes with conditions. I think it's, it's a bit of scaremongering by um, other groups to be saying it's going to be sold off and the government will lose control. The government would maintain some sort of security over those properties, I would expect, to make sure they stay um, in the proper use for social housing. But Horizon is not the only Australian provider interested in the plans to partially sell off or lease New Zealand state housing. Compass is one of Australia's largest community housing providers, managing more than 4,000 homes in New South Wales and more recently Queensland. Its spokesman Martin Kennedy says the company is now casting its eye towards New Zealand. We understand that uh, the sector in New Zealand is going through um, a growth period at the moment. We've been through that in the past, we know what it's like and think we might have uh, you know, some value that we could bring to that process. And so what would be the benefit for you of expanding into New Zealand if, if it did happen in the future? It's not so much um, a case of benefit for Compass as, you know, our mission is to provide people with safe and affordable housing and our goal is to have people empowered and actively engaged in their communities and wherever we think we can do that effectively, well, that's where we'll be. But he says if Compass does get involved, some sort of leasing deal might be more attractive than any purchase option. But Martin Kennedy doesn't expect any sort of backlash to the idea of Compass becoming involved in social housing here. Our intention would very clearly be to establish a New Zealand-based entity employing New Zealand staff for New Zealand conditions. So we're in the process of becoming a registered community housing provider in New Zealand um, right now, so I, I can't say that that would be a factor. And while you're not for profit, you mm -hmm. do make money, don't you? If you, the money was made out of the, your New Zealand operations, where would that go? Any, any dollar that's made by Compass Housing goes back into the community. So. But it I'll could go optimistic. into an Australian community. Would it, would it go into a New Zealand community? Well, look, or it's I, th not I, sure? think it's, I think it's far too soon to be sort of, you know, answering those sort of questions. But the model that we run is around community development wherever possible. The company says that all the contracts it's entered into in Australia ring fence any surplus for reinvestment locally, and they would expect the same to happen in New Zealand. The interest flagged by the two companies is not just at the national level. Horizon, along with Compass, has also expressed a specific interest in housing in Christchurch. The Christchurch City Council confirms it's been in touch with Horizon about the provisions of future social housing. But the council is still considering the pros and cons of any future partnership models, saying that no final decisions have been made. But with the not-for-profit organisations looking at involvement in housing provided by both local authorities and the government, is there a chance of renewed opposition? Jason Cubitt doesn't think there will be. Oh, there's certainly a lot of issues in the media from our participation in the, uh, the briefing in Wellington that we're, the big Aussies are coming to buy, but we, we never said we were going to buy properties in New Zealand and we, 
all we've done is participate in the t um, briefing session. So I think we need to get some reality there and um, see what the next stage is that government's running. Will there be advantages for you in, in being in Australia and New Zealand? Our, our objective is to grow our organisation to be about 10,000 houses and that's public knowledge. It's on our website, our strategic plan. Uh, we're, we're very good at what we do. We provide quality service to our clients and we make sure we reinvest back in the community. Um, we don't, we're not limited to where we work, so if there's an opportunity that we think we can do a great job, we'll explore that. The New Zealand government appears keen to attract Australian investment in what it calls projects of scale. Speaking in Sydney six weeks ago to an infrastructure symposium, the Economic Development Minister, Stephen Joyce, was reported as saying the government was looking for social housing providers who would invest in community housing and then lease it back to the Crown. Trade and Enterprise also seems to have some involvement in attracting interest from Australia in the planned transfer of New Zealand state houses. In response to questions from Insight, it sent a statement saying it had a role helping to identify possible developers and investors in a range of infrastructure areas. It said this could include potential investors, in particular from Australia, to develop new state housing, such as Greenfield's development. Upstairs at the senior housing at Palm Beach live the only couple in the complex, Peter and Patricia Moore. They were the classic example of an older couple living in a three-bedroom state home when they didn't need all that space. The new three-storey complex may be next to a busy road, but they don't mind. It's lovely. I just love it. It's um, nice and airy. and I, lo I don't mind the traffic because it's something, you know, it keeps it lively. <laughs> Of course, yeah. it's about 200 yards around the corner. We've got the airport there when we need it. Yeah. So, it was handy. handy. Yeah. And, and brand new. That's right, uh, new. that's right. And it was lovely, brand new smell. I've loved it. <laughs> the bus stops outside the door. It's all a bad day, it's good. Next door lives Janita Esposito. Knock, knock. Good morning. Sorry, we were putting I'm around Jenny, that there. darling. W welcome. Before moving in here, her financial position had forced her to live in a neighbourhood she didn't like. The place belonged to a friend of mine and I had a fire and I lost everything in the fire and I wasn't insured. So she came up, she, she said, look Jenna, you can have my place and I was renting it for $100. And I was there for five, six, six years when this came up. And so this is a lovely place to live. Oh, darling, it is, it is. And I'm just happy. Very, and it's affordable for you. Yes, it is, yes, yes, just. Security of lease and rent are said to be at the top of tenants' concerns when the management of their homes moves from public housing to not-for-profit providers. The coordinator of Tenants Queensland, Penny Carr, says there can be some trepidation about such changes. I think there's a perception by some public housing tenants that the stock transfer is a privatisation process and I'm not completely sure that I agree with that because it is, there is, it is still not-for-profit providers. However, by transferring the stock, the government are one step further away from having control over things like policy procedures and addressing issues when they don't think that they're, um, 
they're proceeding correctly. Um, one, our main concern is um, the issue of complaints and appeals. So for public housing tenants, if you don't agree with a, a, a decision that the, the government, the government authority makes, you can first of all ask for a review and if you're still not satisfied you can go to the appeals unit. So that, that's an administrative review process. But that administrative review process in Queensland, that doesn't apply to community housing providers. So whilst community housing providers are required to have policies about dispute resolution and, um, and internal appeals, they, they're not subject to the second tier appeal, which is an administrative review. And that's, that's quite concerning. Another advocate who's been lobbying on behalf of tenants for about 30 years, Marilyn Roller, says while housing providers may see themselves as companies with a heart, it's a difficult balance to maintain. She says the not-for-profit organisations have to remain sustainable while aiming for a surplus to reinvest. Reality starts to cut in and then all of a sudden it's, it's well, no, that's not, the, the modelling's not quite right and so I'm, I'm not... I'm not making the profit I thought I was making. Then the business stuff starts, well, I'll have to make some tougher decisions. I'll have to, you know, if I'm going to be financially viable, then maybe I've got to make some other decisions um, and I've got to make those decisions based on better business rather than the heart stuff. Horizon's Jason Cubitt says the business model means his organisation can support those who can't afford a home at market rates. You've got to remember we're a charity and our purpose is to support vulnerable people. We... We're a large organisation, but that's, that's our principal purpose. In the social housing portfolio, where the most vulnerable people are, we have contracts with the government to provide that service, and we have to take referrals off the state government's one social housing waitlist. So we have to take the most vulnerable, and we have to report regularly to government on the performance of that. And this model of community housing provider is becoming more widespread. Hal Pawson is a director of the Australian Housing and Urban Research Institute at the University of New South Wales. Professor Pawson says such not-for-profit businesses work in the space between government and a standard dividend-paying company. These organisations are charities. Um, they're incorporated bodies, but they also have charitable status. But they're an unusual hybrid in a way because they are professionalised charities. They're charities which are also businesses. And they would, I think, increasingly portray themselves as social enterprises. And that means that it's about applying business disciplines for social benefit. The social benefit in this case is to cater for those needing housing assistance and to develop community housing. The New Zealand government argues that a third of the housing stock here is the wrong size and in the wrong place. It says more housing stock is needed and that many of the existing homes need to be better maintained. Similar arguments are in play in Australia and Horizon runs a whole range of housing from former motels that have been turned into bedsits for those who were formerly homeless to Queensland's version of affordable housing. There, it's not a home to buy, but an affordable rental at 75% of market rate, with the rest topped up by a national scheme. Jason Cubitt says operating in an environment heavily reliant on state and national policy and funding is one of the challenges that community housing providers face. That's the risk in, um, in, in any business. We've got a long-term strategic vision. It's about providing housing, more housing to people. Government policy has changed recently in Queensland with a, a new government coming in early in the new year. So the government's still working on their, their current policy here in Queensland. 
and we're waiting to see where that pans out to be. But we've got we're a large enough organisation now with an enough range of different funding sources and portfolios that we can keep moving ahead without being so reliant on one government policy. Now, as you said, you're a charity and not for profit, but that doesn't mean that you're not making money Absolutely to put back not. into the business. So our aim is to make sure we provide the services at the right level and support our clients. But it's about being fair and making sure um, we're providing it equally to our clients, that we're not pumping all the dollars into one program and that it's being sustainable. And any dollars we make as a surplus is reinvested back into providing more housing or other services for clients. While Horizon owns the apartments that are home to tenants Robert Dobb and Janina Esposito, the standard arrangement between states and the community housing providers is for some type of lease agreement, as Professor Pawson explains. It's partly because of the financial accounting rules that state governments are bound by and the result of a valuation system for public housing which values it at the highest and best use for the land on which it's built. And one of the consequences of that is that there's a large part of every state's asset base in its accounts which is notionally relying on the retained ownership of the public housing asset. Marilyn Roller is a huge supporter of leasing stock rather than handing over title. See, in Queensland there's no stock transfer, there's no ownership transfer. So there's more capacity for government to put something into that contract because they still own the property. Once the property is out of the hands of government, once that property is then transferred to whatever housing company, then ownership tends to be allow those organisations to then move on a whole range of activities that don't necessarily produce the level of stock to come back. Logan City Community Housing Limited brings together a unique range of skills and experience. The partnership is structured in a way that will utilise the experience of Compass Housing and Blue Chip in developing and managing social housing in complex areas of need. Compass also has involvement in what's described as the largest transfer of public housing ever undertaken in Australia. Linda Robertshaw is the executive director of a new community housing provider made up of Compass and a not-for-profit developer that won the contract to regenerate public housing in Logan, a city not far from Brisbane. As she explains, it's a long-term project involving significant numbers of homes. The project is a 20-year project. Um, the project is the transfer of management of 4,900 properties approximately. Um, it also, a large component of it is uh, redevelopment and stock renewal. We'll be constructing 2,600 dwellings in that 20 years and 800 of those will be uh, community housing and affordable housing properties. And so what about the other ones, the other sort of two-thirds roughly? So the others will be sold off. Um, some will be sold as affordable housing and uh, out to the um, public market. And what happens to that money? Uh, the money's all reinvested back into the project. So um, all of the money that um, is made from the local mineral initiative goes back into the initiative to create these additional dwellings. That goes back into, um, I guess, these 800 additional dwellings put to the portfolio and to maintaining the other dwellings and to bring the community development initiatives and programs that um, we plan to carry out. Lyndall Robertshaw says during community meetings many have been excited about the plans for new and improved housing. 
Among them is long-term public housing tenant Jessie Scott. She's lived in Logan for 25 years and is full of enthusiasm for inclusive plans that will provide hubs for tenants to meet and socialise and improve the standard of housing. But she's also desperate for the community to be involved in the planning and has first-hand experience of what can happen when situations get out of control. We had a really good community here and then we, we were just torn apart by one bad tenant. Yeah, she was just a young girl and a baby that had been used by other people and they just destroyed the whole community. So, mm. And that was because people were coming in and you yeah, lost your sense well, of security. and unit there, so my daughter couldn't walk to school, you know, we couldn't get in and out, we had to get security with security dogs to be able to actually escort us in to get food and clothing and stuff. And because they were just, it was too dangerous? Yeah, there was about 30 odd street people. Jessie Scott is pleased there are plans to increase the number of homes available, but she does have reservations about the detail of what's being proposed. The high-density housing overseas, we hear that they've bulldozed it. It doesn't work. It's a good thought, but it doesn't work. And so, um, like, the housing, the land there is valuable housing. Other places where affordable housing is built out, like, so the people have to move to get the the housing and that so Logan has you know always been a low income area and people can actually because they do help each other and support each other yeah so the dynamics will change and she wonders if enough thought has been put into how people actually live day to day but we're stopping community because you're having one bedroom places so that when someone gets sick there's nowhere for someone else to help them you know to like family to come and live so you're isolating them they don't put parking but we actually need parking because you need a car to get transport in Logan we're working on community transport you know there's just so many things and uh, I don't know I mean it'll be good and bad the plan for Logan was brought in under the previous state government, which had a goal of 90% of all public housing being transferred into the management of the not-for-profit sector. But after winning an election earlier this year, the new government decided to call a halt to any further transfers. Queensland's Housing Minister, Leanne Enoch, wants to pause to make sure everything is working as expected. With the most recent developments in terms of large-scale transfer of stock, we'll see Queensland reach the 35% mark. Um, the previous government had um, a plan, a, a, a target of 90% uh, by 2020. Uh, that is not the uh, policy of this government. And why have you changed that? Uh, there's a couple of reasons. One is that um, the actual community housing sector is not um, is not entirely ready for it. It's not ready, it's not mature enough, it hasn't built its uh, capacities and capabilities, uh, particularly in Queensland. Uh, there's still more work to be done in that space. Um, I guess the other reason is that uh, particularly, we're doing quite well in the small scale transfer of stock, uh, where we're seeing some of those results pay off, uh, and that, um, you know, that is really related to the fact that we're looking at local, um, small uh, community organisations who can manage that in their own um, local area. But the Logan Renewal Project was already well planned for and has been allowed to go ahead. Officially, it's due to get underway later this year. The area is close to the Minister's heart, as it's where she grew up 
and her mother still lives there. This is the first um, large-scale transfer of stock that we've seen in Queensland and certainly across Australia. So, uh, you know, we're looking at a whole uh, particular location, geographic location that we're handing over to the community sector, uh, which equates to about 4,800 properties. Um, there are a lot, to, a lot of things to uh, pay close, close attention to in all of that. We need to be testing um, some of those philosophies, if you like. You so know. what particular areas would you, you think you need to pay close attention yeah, to? Well, obviously my biggest concerns are about the people who um, access these properties. You know? So we want to be able to protect people, ensure that they're taken care of, um, so that we're not seeing rents increase because you know, the sector you know, needs to expand for whatever reason. Um, we want to be able to make sure that uh, they're still going to have the properties well maintained and uh, that they're living in good conditions. You know, all of these things that uh, we certainly have been seeing in the small-scale transfer stock, but to have never seen large-scale transfer before in this country, we're not sure yet. So just want to make sure that people are taken care of in all of this process. But if anything was to go awry, advocate Marilyn Roller says ownership becomes ever more crucial. Because the state government, Queensland government, have not lost control of ownership, then I suspect that there are ways in which that could be pulled back. Mind you, it would be like turning a semi-trailer around as opposed to a, a minivan. Once you've set off on that track, and might I say this is a national agenda, and so all of the states have bought into some level of stock transfers. I believe that while government still holds the key, still holds the deed, they can say, well, if you don't deliver, then we'll take the properties back. And they're able to take the properties back because they still have the deed. She says the need in Logan is a reflection of demand statewide, where there are 16,000 people on the housing waiting list. Leanne Enoch says while initiatives such as Logan are not the only way to increase the number of dwellings, it's hoped the large-scale project will help create new homes. She says if all goes as planned, there could be new properties in two or three years to help bring the waiting list down. But Penny Carr of the Tenants' Union says it's not certain that transfers will increase the number of homes available. I think the increase in stock of recent times has really come from the supply-side response from Commonwealth state governments, which has predominantly been through the National Rental Affordability Scheme, and that has brought more stock in. I guess it's yet to be tested to see if this stock transfer in and of itself results in an increase in supply of social housing stock. But how does such change affect those renting these properties? Professor Pawson says a national satisfaction survey run every two years seems to indicate that generally tenants are happy under the community housing model. That makes it possible to compare the tenant views about the uh, effectiveness of their landlord across the division between public housing and community housing. And over 10 or 15 years that that survey's been running every two years, on every occasion, community housing um, scores a significantly higher percentage of satisfied tenants than public housing. But is this the best approach to housing? The housing minister is cautious. There are so many other factors involved in this. Um, of course, the national um, agenda around, um, you know, if the Commonwealth changes their mind on um, the Commonwealth rent assistance, that will uh, put a, there's a little thread there in the whole arrangement that may uh, be something that we have to work with. So I want to be bold and innovative and think of, you know, is this the way forward? 
um, but I also want to be cautious on behalf of the people that we'll be serving. In New Zealand, market soundings are going on now with potential providers to get an understanding about what stock or region providers might be interested in. Formal expressions of interest will begin to be gathered next month. I'm Philippa Tolley, and that's Insight for this week. If you'd like to share your thoughts on this program, you can send an email to insight at radionz.co.nz. Our Twitter handle is rnz underscore insight. I wrote and presented that program. It was produced by Gail Woods, with technical production by Dan Bevan.